Hello, and welcome to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur, where Hayut Yogev speaks with entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs about reaching or missing the critical point of approaching the right customer with the right message at the right time and place. The point where business success starts. And here is your host, Hayut Yogev. Rich Omis, episode 176. Hey, my riches, it's so great to be here with you again Monday morning. And my guest today, Bart Rupert, is talking about how entrepreneurs can buy their competitors as part of their growth strategy and without investing their own money. I thought this is a very interesting point of view. Because Bart is actually saying every entrepreneur, most entrepreneurs are focusing on growth, which is what they should focus on. However, most of them are focusing on organic growth and they are not considering the option of buying their competitors, their products or their customers as a perfect way to grow much faster. I think you would love this interview with Bart. I know I did, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts and comments. Before I jump to introduce you, Bart Rupert, I would like to invite you to join my Facebook groups, Women Entrepreneurs Starting Out and Entrepreneurial Marketing Success. You will find all the links, including the links to Bart Rupert's sites, in the show notes of this interview. I look forward to hearing from you. Bart Rupert has a strong mergers and acquisitions background across Fortune 500s and startups with industries such as technology, software, energy, oil, gas and solar, healthcare, real estate, managed services and constructions. He founded nearly 30 companies negotiated over $5 million in contracts and business deals, grew a corporate startup from inception to $10 million, and grew a healthcare company from $8 million to $75 million, and an energy company from $22 million to $115 million. He has made a career buying and selling companies for a living facilitated the sales of luxury premium real estate and taken ownership of companies across three different countries using none of his own money. Let's listen to my interview with Bart Rupert. Bart Rupert, what a pleasure to have you here. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. It is a pleasure. And I just told you before the interview, that I'm really looking forward to the things that you have to tell us because I think there are a few unique stories hiding there for us. So I just shared with our audience what you've done until now. And I would like to ask you to share with us what are you doing and most passionate about today and where are you heading? Um, What I'm doing today is helping entrepreneurs learn how to buy and sell companies for a living. And the reason that we're doing this is because Statistically, 88% of all new wealth, it's been proven by Morgan Stanley and Bloomberg and others, 
is created through selling small to medium-sized businesses and real estate. And so as soon as you figure out that nearly nine out of 10, all new wealth instances come out of selling a business, then you start to really ask yourself, how do we go and do that? How do we step <laughs> into that? And for myself, as part of my own journey, I started off extremely poor, extremely destitute. We oh. couldn't make rent, we couldn't pay bills. And I grew up with the understanding of you need to be a doctor or a lawyer in order <laughs> to succeed. And then I couldn't afford to be a doctor or a lawyer. Uh, so I, I started off going down the path of, all right, well, I'm going to go after the closest thing to true financial freedom and success, and that's to become an executive. And everybody said, if you get to be an executive at a company, you're going to be able to do everything you need to do. You can have everything you ever wanted. And I stepped into that role and had some degree of success and saw that I was able to step within that framework and do well. But while I was on that path, I came across an individual and ended up working for his company. He was an entrepreneur. There were about 400 people in his company. He'd started his own business. And I looked at this guy, this is decades ago. This mm -hmm. is like 20 something years ago. And he was paying himself 365,000 US dollars a year. Okay. And the reason he was paying himself that, and this is like, you know, back in the nineties is because he wanted to be able to tell everybody he was making a thousand dollars a day. <sighs> and this guy was larger than life, pinstripe suits, everywhere he went, <laughs> everything was custom tailored. He's this guy that's just this huge CEO that everybody was like, oh my gosh, it's him. <laughs> and at that moment, I, I suddenly discovered being an executive isn't the pinnacle. Being an entrepreneur is the way to go. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden I changed my philosophy to, I've got to start some businesses. I've got to be able to create my own company because look at this guy, he's doing everything. And then while I was still with his organization, I actually got approached by a division that said, hey, Bart, we need you to go represent part of your what your division's working on in this group and get in front of him, et cetera. And I thought, well, that's annoying. Why, why do I want to do that? And they didn't really tell me. Eventually, I found out it was because the entrepreneur was looking to sell his company. Oh. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Well, yeah, I'll go help out. <clears throat> so I got pulled into the boardroom. I got pulled in front of all these executives from the buyer. And they asked me a ton of questions. And I was able to step up and really get as part of that process a lot out of it. And I found I really loved it. I, I was just enthralled. Wow. And when it was all done, I contributed to the successful sale of the company. I actually wow. played a pretty significant role because my division, unbeknownst to me at the time, was very important. And I saw that this entrepreneur who started the company made over 20 million US dollars hmm. out of that transaction. And at that moment, I went through this journey to say, it's not being a doctor or a lawyer. It's not being an executive. It's not even being an entrepreneur. It's selling a company. It's so interesting because I'm asking myself, you really came from a poor home. And when you're coming from a poor home, what you need is to make sure that you will have enough as a growing up. And today you are at the heart of where you can make money, as you said. And I'm wondering how passionate you are about that. Is it only the money? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, what I will tell you is that I believe you grow up loving what you lack. And so if you're in a situation to where you grow up with no money, you're going to really appreciate the value of money and you're going to love that money. But, but for me personally, although I grew up loving what I lacked, which was money, it wasn't for the sake of money itself. 
Uh, I think that it's very natural, it's very healthy to love money and have a desire for it, not because you're greedy or because you're going after just a financial figure in the bank account, but because of what money is. Right. It's a very powerful tool. It's an agent. It allows you to help people you care about. It allows you to give yourself, your spouse, your children a really phenomenal lifestyle, gifts, if you will, of fantastic education, fantastic vacations, cultural experiences. It allows you to take care of parents that you might have that are in bad health or mm -hmm. even different situations for friends that when you have an abundant amount of wealth, you can do things no one else can really do. It becomes almost like a superpower. And mainly it allows you to be free. It's freedom, isn't it's it? It's freedom. That's exactly right. It's freedom. And so when you ask, is it about the money? The answer is no, because it's about what is behind the money. And you can create and buy freedom and health and, and you can't buy happiness necessarily, but you can, you can get all these advantages around these environmental things that can make your life so much better and easier. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's the natural experience for all of us. And so it really involves stepping into this lifestyle that very few people have access to that just becomes an unimaginable source of freedom. that you can create through this unique tool called money. I do agree. I, um, I think you also need to love what you do in order to be very good at it. And when you talked about the first time that you helped this um, entrepreneur, this uh, stripe suit entrepreneur to sell his company, you, uh, you were very passionate about that. You were very uh, proud about that. So I'm asking myself, do you still feel that when you help companies to uh, sell their companies or buy another company? Every single time, every single time. And, and I love it. I, I completely agree with what you're saying. You, you want to love what you do. Warren Buffett tells us that you want to go after things that are in your strike zone that you're really passionate about because you're going to be best at it. But for me, I'm, I'm the classic uh, Enneagram type of the achiever. <laughs> so it's not important for me that I'm the guy that's in control of a transaction or the egomaniac that has to you know, be running a whole bunch of people. I really don't care about that. But I do like achievement. That's what I get <laughs> the most juice out of in terms of the juice being worth the squeeze. So when you're able to take a situation with a company that should sell for say $10 million dollars and you can get it sold for $12 million dollars and you change someone's life wow. and you create a freedom event for them that's unlike anything probably anybody else could ever do, hmm. that feels fantastic. I do and agree. Must be. Hmm. That's really why I pivoted towards what I'm doing today because I can tell you when you sell your first company and you ultimately make a lot of money off of it, Um, you know, everybody says like the first million dollars you make or the first time you sell a company, it feels phenomenal and it does. But a lot of people also say you'll never feel better than that. I would disagree. I think ultimately you can recapture that feeling each and every time you achieve an accomplishment, mm -hmm. but it's got to be something that you really love for reasons that, that are compatible with what you're after. So sure. for me, doing that for myself is great and I like that. But now I'm, I'm really having fun being able to do that for other people. That's fantastic. And every single day now I go through and I'm, you know, I'm involved with um, dozens of transactions at a time. And we've got a, a relatively small group uh, compared to other firms that are out there. But it's a group of specialists, people that are just really convicted and passionate about the idea 
buying and selling mm-hmm. companies. And that's what we're doing every day. And it, it yeah. feels great. Now I'll also say some of the techniques that go into buying and selling a company aren't necessarily what every person's passionate mm-hmm. about. So some people really love the marketing experience. Some people love the techniques we teach around asymmetric negotiation to be able to negotiate in a very non-traditional way to get better results faster. There's all kinds of elements of the program that people find to be more compatible to them. What I always tell folks is that you want to find the thing that resonates with you the most, the thing you're most passionate about, and really anchor Mm -hmm. into that and get really good at that and find ways to create opportunities there because that's where you're going to do your best is on something you really love doing. Wow. I love that answer. And who are, just uh, briefly, who are the customers that you are serving? Do they have anything in common? They're all entrepreneurs of privately held companies. Hmm. Uh, I've done work with publicly held companies, and that's great, but they move really slowly. They don't really pay attention to creative deal structure, hmm. uh, and ultimately they get stifled by their own success. Like if you take <laughs> certain companies, like I've got a friend that did divestitures over at, uh, well, I won't say which company, but it, it was a very, very large Fortune 500 that dealt with credit cards. And they had so many companies they'd acquired that they literally didn't know everything they had in their portfolio. It became very wow. confusing for them. And that's where it becomes difficult to find your passion because there's so sure. much activity. Sure. But if you're dealing with small to medium-sized businesses, uh, and I'd say you know, businesses that are around $100 million are still you know, medium-sized businesses. That's, sure. that's not a large business comparatively. But when you're dealing with groups in that range, you've got flexibility, you've got creativity, you've got things that you can activate within the team, the staff, the, the deal structure that allows you to really accelerate the whole process. And that is, um, that's a very powerful space to play in. Hmm. And it allows you to, to do quite a bit. Well, what would be your best advice to any entrepreneur that listening to us and Try to focus mainly on the business part of doing business, of serving customers, but any answer, any advice is good as well. Yeah, the advice I would give is that every entrepreneur I typically talk to focuses on growth, and that is absolutely the right answer. Mm -hmm. But where I would offer advice is around how you'd grow your company. 99% of the folks that I talk to, when they hear growth or how do we grow, they start looking at pretty tactical elements like, I need to get a marketing channel. I need to be able to get my digital channel online. I'm going to get some funnels set up. I'm going to get a sales team and work on my closing strategies. That's all great, but that's all organic growth. What I would tell you is that you can, what we tell everybody is you can take the escalator rather than the stairs to get to the same destination. Mm-hmm. And if you take the escalators, it's a lot easier. There's less effort, but you're getting to the same height that you were looking to get through the stairs. And the way you can do that, and this is where the advice comes in, is consider inorganic growth as part of your strategy. Consider the fact that you can buy a competitor, you can Mm -hmm. buy their product, you can buy their customers, and find a way to merge them into your organization. And through that one strategy, you could literally double or triple your revenue instantly just by going down the path of an acquisition instead of spending five or 10 years trying to double or triple your revenue through the standard organic growth methods. I think a lot of the entrepreneurs that I know, you know, it's easier to go organically because you are changing your habits slowly. And here it's something that none of them really 
try to do. That's why someone that will mentor them and go with them and do it with them is so important. And I don't know if they are all aware of that. That's why I thought it's so important to talk with you today. Because I, we never had someone that really talked about merger and acquisitions for entrepreneurs, focusing on the entrepreneurs and not only on the Fortune 500 that looking for the entrepreneur. And I think the reason for that, Hayud, is because the traditional strategies around mergers and acquisitions seem so unobtainable. In the sense that when anybody thinks of mergers and acquisitions as an entrepreneur, they immediately dismiss it. They think, oh, this is hard. This is difficult. I can't do this. I don't have the capital. I don't have the, the strategies. I don't have the legal advice. And that is what holds all of us back, I think. Sure. I think we all agree it's a good idea. But then the very next thought that comes to you is it's impossible for me to do because it's so big. Right. And I have to say, if I didn't have the experience I did you know, like 20 plus years ago where I actually saw somebody do it, and I saw really how how straightforward it was. I wouldn't be where I am today. And I've really refined and honed my strategies over a couple decades or the ideas around it. And when you sell like a dozen of your own companies and you sell a lot of other companies for other folks, you see the pattern, you see the strategy. Hmm. You see that the first person that ever made the hamburger, that would be a big ordeal. They had to make the bread, they had to find the lettuce, they had to get the tomato, they had to make sure it's fresh, they had to get the meat, cook the meat. It's a very very big ordeal. But what we're looking at is more like a McDonald's in the sense that you've optimized the process, you've optimized the strategy. Somebody else already went and did that. Now it's just a question of how do we take what other people have already done in those strategies, just stamp them out. And that's what we're now doing. We're, we're finding ways to pioneer working directly with entrepreneurs that want to be on this path, giving them all those shortcuts so they don't have to go and spend 20, 25 years beating their head against the wall and just stumbling across it like I did. They can more or less get all those tools and toolkits handed to them and go out and do it. And the best part is you can do this without your own money. That's the mm. biggest obstacle I think people face is yeah, they think, it is. well, I could buy that competitor, but I don't have two million US dollars lying under my couch cushion. So I guess I can't. <laughs> <laughs> and what if I told you there are ways, there are strategies to go about that that didn't involve finding the money under your couch cushion or even using any money or any of your own money to be able to do it to where you could basically double or triple your revenue and not come out of pocket on that, would that change your mind? Sure. And for anybody that's thinking, yeah, that would absolutely be exciting, then that's the passion we were talking about earlier that may make you a good fit for this type of strategy or program. Wow, love that. You've got a lot of successes and we talked about it and we are going to talk about it in a minute again. But I would like to ask you, what was the greatest, most critical failure with customers, the one that affected your entrepreneurial journey the most or almost the most? Yeah, it's a really good question. Hmm. Uh, I think the biggest failures that I've had with customers over the course of time is communication. And it's a big lesson learned. It's not so much about what was communicated uh, as much as it was the cadence of communication and the openness that was in the communication, uh, I found that if you're not transparent with your customer, if you're not open and honest with them around what you're doing and you're not communicating with them regularly, you'll lose them. Hmm. And that may be okay if you're a big behemoth like Amazon where there's just tens of millions of people that are just in line to use your system. But for most of us as entrepreneurs, we've got a finite list of customers that we can either choose 
to communicate intimately with or not. And when I say intimately, I'm not saying like waste all your time every day, but sure. you can set up communication systems. You can set up a call every six months to personally reach out to one of your key customers and say, hey, I know you've been doing a lot of business with us. I really thank you. What's going on? What can we do better? What do you really like about working with us? Get that firsthand experience yourself as the owner of the company, as the entrepreneur, get that feedback. Because if the way I would look at managing a company, if you're not growing, you're slipping backwards. Sure. If you're stagnating, you're slipping backwards. Right. And we all know that as owners of companies who are monitoring our cash flow, but think about your customer experience the same way. If you're not establishing a forward-moving relationship with your customer, you're slipping, you're moving backwards, you're losing that rapport with them. But if you've got good communication and you're honest with them, there's literally no degree of difficulty that you can face and not overcome. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Yeah. I've got a lot of groups um, and, and companies within our portfolio because yeah. uh, we've got a large portfolio. And there are companies, um, and I'm not leading all these companies, I'm just a co-owner or you know, or a majority owner, but we've got individuals that are running each one of them. And we've had some of those companies unfortunately go bankrupt okay. like they're going under and and that's going to go away and it's it's unfortunate for all of us uh we've got other companies that are doing fine and and some companies are going bankrupt and some are doing fine in the same industry okay and that kind of blew my mind due to covid i'm like okay you got one company here one company there two different ends of the spectrum they're in the same industry what what is going on here and when i sat down and actually talked to the people running him like look what happened then you get two different stories. The one that actually said, I'm, I'm going bankrupt, I can't do it. They're like, well, what do you expect? COVID hit, all my customers left because they can't keep going with our service. Of course they can't, they can't afford it. And they almost defended the fact that they failed. <laughs> Just mm -hmm. like, sure. what do you expect? We all went under, this is what happens in COVID. And I went to the other person and said, what happened? because we had COVID and, and your customers are sticking around. You might've lost a few, but everybody's staying it out. And they're like, well, yeah, what would you expect? I mean, we reached out to them. We told them what was going on. We tried to strike some sort of a considerate deal. They understand where we're coming mm -hmm. from and we figured it out. That's what you got to do in business. Yeah. And I find it really funny how both of these owners of these companies or these you know, leaders of these companies had come in and said, what did you expect? This is what we anticipated <laughs> to happen. And one expected that due to COVID, the whole world would end. One expected due to COVID that they'd have some work to do to recover the relationships, and they would. And in each case, both were right. So it's everything is about, you talked about communication, it's also about expectations. Yes, yes. Everything is a matter of expectation. If you are expecting to fail, you will probably fail. Yeah. Isn't it? You don't see it like that? No, it's 100% true. And in fact... A lot of what we teach people through our program is mindset because there is a wealth mindset that allows you to either achieve success or stay stuck where you are. And I think for any entrepreneur, no matter whether you're growing a company, buying a company, selling a company, whatever you, you're doing, you've got what I would call uh, within the program a success cube. <laughs> and your success cube, if you imagine something in your mind for a moment that's just a cube, uh, doesn't have to be opaque but it's of a certain size in your mind. And that cube represents the amount of success that you can hold at any given point in your life. And as soon as you have more success pile on top of that cube, if your cube is already filled, it's just gonna spill over. 
and you're not going to be able to hold on to that success. And so part of what you've got to do every day, I think, as an entrepreneur is find a way to expand your horizons, build and broaden that success cube, make it bigger so that you can hold on to more success, more wealth. And if you mm -hmm. do that, you're going to find that you've set the course for your own future and you've got the ability to actually achieve success far more readily. Now, a lot of you may be listening to this because we got like 30 different countries we're talking to today. You may yeah. be thinking to yourself, well, gee, that sounds pretty airy-fairy, sounds pretty much like wishful thinking or positive thinking. It's not because I don't deal in wishes. I deal in the practical reality of human psychology. That's how we negotiate every deal and either get what people call a miracle deal done or not. And human psychology has a very direct effect on the environment. All of us know in, intuitively that like 80 plus percent of every bit of communication we do is based on our voice tone or our body language. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you also factually through human psychology, and you can look at the best psychologists out there to back this up, if you feel like you're going to fail, sure. then your body language and your voice tone will reflect your feeling of failure. Definitely. And anybody whether it's subconscious or not, they're going to pick up on that and they're going to identify this isn't going to work and they're going to naturally be less inclined to do that. So if we can find a way to expect more success in our lives and identify within ourselves, what are we doing to sabotage our own success? Then we can expand our success cube and allow more into our life. I mean, there's no reason why every one of us can't be millionaires, multimillionaires, whatever we set our mind to. It's not that the opportunity isn't out there. And it's not that you're not tuned into pursuing those realities. It's that you're holding on to baggage that is stopping you from achieving your full success that you can't let go of or you won't let go of. Wow. That's really the thing. Everybody talks about, oh, if you focus on your reality, you'll create your reality. No, I, I, I think that's part of it, but that's not the true story. The true story is you're embracing your failure or what's holding you back or wherever you are currently, whether you're aware of it or not. And it's you holding on to that lifestyle or holding on to that belief structure that's impacting your psychology, that's showing up in your discussions, your negotiations, your customer calls, et cetera, that's either allowing you to get more business or less. That's as simple as it is, folks. So if you want to be able to achieve more in your life, all you've got to do is let go of the stuff that's holding you back and just let the world throw it at you hmm. and take massive action against it. And you will be successful. <laughs> Now I want you to tell us the story of your greatest, most significant success as a result of the right customer focus or anything else that really affected your entrepreneurial journey the most for the good, for the better. Yeah, I think uh, one of the biggest successes I'd ever had uh, was, was in the early days. And I'll bring it up because it was, um, it was such a monumental effort. It was really climbing that really difficult mountain every single day, every step along the way. So it's most memorable. But there was a, a company that uh, I took over, and uh, I, I took it over when it was only worth $8 million. And we ended up selling that for over $75 wow. million. After how long? Six years. Wow. So it was a long time. And the problem with the company when I first started in with it is that they had operational issues. They didn't have a good sales strategy. They didn't know how to close deals. So we had to spend a couple of years just fixing the operational issues. But then I started taking the company through a really aggressive growth to where we called it a movement up market. 
to where rather than them focusing on all these little deals, these tiny couple hundred thousand dollar transactions, we started focusing on big hmm. multi-million dollar deals. And there was a, a group that we partnered up with to bid on a deal with the Department hmm. of Labor in the United States. And it was a very, very big transaction. Uh, and I went and looked at the transaction and I pulled my executive team in and I said, okay guys, so where do we think we wanna bid this? This is the amount of effort it's gonna take. And one person said, well, I think we should do a couple million dollars. I'm like, all right, so we're, we're in the million, multi-million dollar range, that's good. And another person said, well, I don't think we can go over five million. Because if we go over five million, they'll say no. So why do you think they're gonna say no? He's like, well, because it's just such a big number. I'm like, do you think it's a big number for you or do you think it's a big number for the Department of Labor? Because I can tell you, toilet paper, $5 million <laughs> isn't a big number for those guys. <laughs> and again, your success is rooted around what you're holding on to that's your own limitations, right? So this person was holding on to, oh, $5 million feels big, and therefore I'm not going to allow myself to go beyond $5 million. It's a practical example. So I basically made the decision on what to bid after getting feedback, where the biggest piece of feedback was $5 million. And keep in mind, this company had been operating for 10 years before I took it over. So they had a history of doing stuff like this. So I went in and told them, guys, I'm going to bid $30 million. And everybody lost their mind. They absolutely freaked out. I had a right on my hands. And this is from my exec team, not even like the managers. These are people that are supposed to be in control. They freaked out. They said, you're going to lose the deal. You're going to insult them. We'll never do anything like this again. And I said, maybe. But the reality is that here are the numbers. Here's the justification. Here's how we can actually show that this has $30 million worth of value, which is, by the way, the exact same strategy you're selling a company for getting a lot more than than you probably should or others might think it's worth. But I went in and I positioned this to the Department of Labor through our partner, and they did freak out. They had all these things that are out there, but I knew from negotiating with the government, because my success cube was a little bit larger, that it wouldn't really be a deal breaker because I knew we had the upper hand mm. in the negotiation. I knew that we were really the, the best game in town, and we'd proven that. So they came back and said, you guys are completely out of whack, there's no way, et cetera. And we started negotiating. And we started negotiating from $30 million, not five. Sure. Right? It took us, Hayut, four years to get that deal. Wow. And I had to do, I think it was like eight different best and final offers. I don't even remember the final number. But every time the government asks you for a best or final, the implication is they say, this is your final offer. And if it's not good enough, we throw you out. And every time you do a best and final, you of course have to lower the price because otherwise why would they ask you for better pricing? So over four years of me negotiating this and on weekends and nights, and I remember one day I was working on a laptop on the 4th of oh. July sitting outside working on this thing and I, I fell asleep working on it, didn't get a chance to go down there. I remember another time where um, I was literally negotiating on a ski lift <laughs> to where I was I was over the week, it was a Saturday uh, or a Sunday, I think it was a Saturday, but I was literally negotiating on my cell phone on a ski lift because we'd chosen to go skiing that weekend and uh, the deal had to get done. So we did this for like four years. By the time it was done, I secured the contract for over $23 million. Wow. It was the biggest deal that this company had ever seen. In fact, if you took all the years of every deal they'd done beforehand, it didn't add up to this one sure. deal. 
it was that significant for them. So it was a very, very big deal. And everybody's mindset changed. I saw the whole company, like they went from this pariah effect where they thought I was going to be the leader that just got everybody tanked and thrown under the bus all of a sudden into, well, of course, that's the answer. Of course, we need to bid more. Of course, that needs to happen. <laughs> and all of a sudden, my team started doing it. My team started believing that that was possible. Their psychology changed around the problem space. And all of a sudden, multi-million dollar deals became the norm. And so the the pride I would have, it, it, it was great because we, we ended up getting an exit event for nearly 10x what we started wow. from. But the pride I've got is that it took us that many years to go through climbing the mountain. And it was an exemplary moment to where I saw really the entire mindset of a company shift because of an action that we took that was against all odds by everybody's thought. And we went and defied those odds, got the result, achieved the success, and, and really conquered the mountain. Wow. Wow, what a story. What a beautiful story. Um... Can you recommend the best, most effective technological or digital tool that we've related to customer focus, marketing, sales, business? However, I'm not looking for the last shiniest tool in the endless list. I'm looking for something that really works for you and helps you succeed. Yeah, that's an easy one for us. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a tool by the name of Valuation X. And you can find it at www.valuationx.co, not .com. And it's probably going to be very um, unimpressive for most of the folks out there. It is a tool that you use to value companies, okay. to determine the valuation of an organization, either before you buy it or before you sell it. And we use this tool every day, all the time, for every deal. When we were originally going through and looking at companies to sell or to buy, that we were either marketing for sale or we were assessing to buy, it would take our team two to three weeks per opportunity to figure out what that company was worth. And with this technology, uh, it's a cloud-based tool set, we're able to determine the value of a company. And if you're an entrepreneur and want to sell it, you know that's what you're looking to do, uh, in 10 to 15 minutes. Wow. And we were able to take two to three weeks worth of work with like analysts and break that down to 10 or 15 minutes where literally anybody on the team can run their own valuation. Do you need to completely be completely life changing? I'm sorry, it is completely life changing. Do you need to be an expert in that or companies can do it for themselves? No, you, you don't actually. Every company can do it for themselves. Um, all you, you have to have is uh, three years worth of financial statements, which everybody, their CPA produces that for mm -hmm. them or their financial uh, team assembles that for them. And you literally just take the numbers that are in there and the tool maps out a conversion to be able to say, if it says this, enter that data here. And you just go and enter the data. And it takes like 10 or 15 minutes to enter it. Um, there's only like three screens that you got to go through. And then it spits out a, an entire suite of tools that show you the value. And the great thing we like about it is that then you can kind of play with the sure. numbers because it'll say, this is your baseline. Now, if you did this, you can play with that and see what that means. And you kind of like grab a slider or whatever and actually see if I go up or down in this area, my company's worth more or less. The reason we like that is because as groups that go in and buy companies, we can determine what's the company worth today. And if we were to deploy our, our strategies and techniques around it, what's it worth two, three years from now? 
so that we can turn around and sell it. Hmm. And so it's a great model if you can go in and say, I'm going to buy a company for, say, like $2,500,000, and then you can just do a couple things you're already good at, and three years later, sell it for like $10 million. That's wonderful. Wonderful. So we will have the link in the show notes of this interview. There are many factors that affect one's success. However, I do believe that for each of us, there is one key success factor that really helps us succeed. And I want to ask you, what is your one key success factor? I never give up. Hmm. And I think if, if there's an entrepreneur that's involved in something that they're seeking to achieve, whatever their goal is, there's a part of them that never gives up either. And when I say that, I don't mean that about deals that are no good sure. or deals that we've assessed and said that's not a moneymaker. But if you're in a situation right now in life where you're struggling, like I did as a child where we had no money, we couldn't pay our bills, we couldn't put food on the table, we couldn't keep the lights on, then you, you have two choices. You can, either, you can either decide, I'm just gonna go with it and give up and let the world run over me, and you're just gonna be a victim, or, or you can choose to overcome, you can choose to adapt, you can choose to find a way forward. And every company from an entrepreneurial perspective comes across that crossroads, I'm convinced, every week, if not every day. <laughs> sure. And you're faced with that decision, that dragon that's looking you right in the eyes to say, am I going to give up and be eaten or am I going to find a way to conquer this, this dragon? And that's a choice. And that's a choice that really every day allows you to define your personality type. And If you're the person that doesn't give up and finds a way forward and finds a way to achieve success, whether it's selling a company or overcoming bad terms or negotiating with the DOL and the Department of Labor for like literally four years where we were a small company, it was me on the phone without a lawyer. And I had like at any given point in time, six to eight people with the Department of Labor that were lawyers and business experts and different people on software and technology and security, every walk of life. And you can't go into that thinking you're going to be smarter than every one of those people. That's unrealistic. But you can go in there thinking, I'm not, not going to give up. I'm going to keep pursuing this. I'm going to keep overcoming whatever they throw at me. And if you have that mindset and it's, you allow it to just be ingrained into who you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter where you are in the world, no matter what you're doing in life, you will, will succeed. Hmm. My final question Before I ask you what is the best way to connect with you, my final question is my mountain question. And as my listeners already know, I've been always imagining the journey of marketing, of building a perception in the mind of the customer, which is all about that. You talked a lot about mindset, and this is it. Looking at things from the point of, from the mind of the customer, and then building the perception there, and building the trust And building the brand, I always saw it as climbing a mountain step after step after step. And then when I established my company and I started to work with entrepreneurs, I found out that there is much higher mountain, which is the mountain of entrepreneurship. So at some point I started to ask my guests, and that's what I'm asking you, whether you ever climbed a mountain or wish to climb a mountain, or do you have any relationships with mountains at all? <laughs> well, first of all, I have to say how you I love <laughs> your mountain question. I, I mean, it's one of the things I'm most excited about being here for. Um, so yes, mountains have a very personal meaning to me. They're metaphorical, they're also physical. 
people, they represent challenge, they represent uh, a pinnacle of success as well. So I live in Colorado, we go hiking, we climb mountains mm -hmm. regularly. At the same token, the M&A firm we have, the name of that company oh. is Stone Peak. And the reason the company's name is Stone Peak on the M&A side is because we see as entrepreneurs the goal to be at the top of the mountain, at the peak of the summit. And so very, very personal meaning to me, which is why I love the question so much. And I think the way I would answer it is that when I first started my entrepreneurial journey and I looked at becoming the executive, I looked at becoming the entrepreneur, I looked at all these different paths to grow a company organically, it's exactly like climbing the mountain. And I've been in situations where I've climbed the mountain, I've decided once I get tired, I'm not going to... I'm not going to turn around and keep going. I've decided once my feet start here, I'm going to keep going. Once my legs start aching, once my hip starts you know, <laughs> feeling a little bit loose and painful, uh, once your knees start aching, and even down to the point where you know your toenails might start bleeding, you've still got the choice, do I keep moving forward or not? Now, it may not be a smart idea if your toenails are bleeding, but you know I, I'm the guy that just keeps going. And that is a great honor right? It, you get so much achievement out of it. You get such a feeling of satisfaction and accomplishment because you spent all those hours or days climbing the mountain and you're at the top of it and you get this beautiful vista, this unparalleled view. You get to see the world in an absolutely unique way that maybe most of the population yeah. never gets to see. And there's something really special about that. There's something so glorious about that. And I think as entrepreneurs, we all see our path to the top of the mountain Sure. as a bit of a struggle, one foot in front of the other until we get there. Hmm. And that's the metaphor. But what I would now say to your mountain question as well is that having lived a life to where I've seen the executive path, the entrepreneur path, and really the acquisition path, which is what we teach through Spartans Alliance, then I would tell you, you don't have to take that journey if you don't want to anymore. The way I would do it now is to say, there's that mountain. Do I want to spend several days hiking to the top until my toenails bleed and getting there? Or do I want to have a helicopter drop me off at the summit? And when you buy and sell companies for a living, you find you can achieve the same result and do it far more elegantly mm -hmm. and easily. So starting a company, growing a company organically, that's hiking to the top of the mountain. When you go and buy a company, it's getting the helicopter to drop you <laughs> off at the top. Yeah. And no, no, no. Yeah, go ahead. So it's a very powerful comparison in my mind as to how those two paths get you to the same outcome, but perhaps in a different way. And there's some people, by the way, that they, they have to feel like they hike until their toes bleed. They have to feel like, wow, it's got to be a struggle <laughs> or else it's not worthwhile. And that's okay. That's part of your journey. There's nothing wrong with that journey. You're still going to get to the top of the mountain. But for those of us that are at a point where they're thinking, maybe there's a better way, then consider that path. Because when you look at that path, when you look at a different way to get there, it's something you can do to where you're growing your company organically. You're figuring out the best way to do that. And you're buying competitors and you're buying other companies to bolt onto it. Why not do both? What a fantastic way to look at the mountain question. I really love that. Really love that. And but what is the best way to connect with you for any of our listeners that would like to be in touch? Yeah, so there's a couple ways to reach us. 
If you're looking at buying and selling companies and you're curious about that, you can hit us up at www.spartansalliance.com. Yeah. That's Spartans with an S, alliance.com. If you're interested in selling a business or you'd like to know a few more techniques around what that looks like, you can go to www.stonepeakalliance.com. Mm. Either one of those can get there. They each have forms on the site where you can go in and check us out and get in contact with us. If you go to spartansalliance.com, there's also links to YouTube. There's links to LinkedIn and Facebook where we've got all kinds of free video content, things that you can check out to be able to get some good tips and tricks. And is there any way to connect with you? Yeah, folks could email me. Uh, my email address is very simple. It's bart at spartansalliance.com. Sure. Yeah, if you've got any questions, feel free to reach out. We'll have all these links in the show notes of this interview. Bart, what an interview. I really enjoyed every minute. I think you are looking at things from a different perspective, from a new perspective, and I enjoyed it so much, and I'm sure our listeners will learn a lot and get inspired for that. So thank you. You're very welcome, Hayud. And thank you. I, I think you're, you are the perfect podcast host. You've got such a beautiful voice and the <laughs> questions. I really love the mountain question. That's such a fantastic question for all of us as <laughs> entrepreneurs on this journey to really look at what we're doing, how we're doing it, and really what it means to us. Thank you. Thank you. And we will be in touch. Take care. And bye-bye. Okay. Bye, Hayu. Thank you. Bye-bye. And for you, our listeners, until the next time, it all goes down to this. You either reach or miss. Keep reaching your goals and vision. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur. You can find all the information, links, and resources that was mentioned at the show in our website, reachormiss.com. See you next week.